You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. Well, good evening, Iron City. How are y'all tonight? Oh, that was so lame. How are y'all doing tonight? All right, uh, they forgot to do this. Let's dismiss our kiddos um, to... In the back, you see them waving their kiddos. We love you. Can you give it up for the kids in the room? That was some good waving, Justin. I love it. Well, I'm Demetrius, one of the pastors here, and so uh, so grateful to be um, before you guys tonight. Um, can we do something? Because this is probably going to embarrass her, but I'm like a big brother right now. Can we give it up for my little sister, Taylor? She did such a good job tonight. Yes. And you wouldn't have known that's her first time leading worship, like, ever. So you did, you led us really well. Can we give it up again? Yeah. Just want to thank the worship team for leading us so faithfully. Um, Thank you guys for doing that. Um, I was praying for this message uh, as I was thinking about this series. And so I'm just going to take some time to share some of the things that the Lord has put on my heart. Um... Romans 12 and 2, uh, it reminds us to do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, it says do not be conformed to this world. How many in this room understand that this world is ever-changing Standards are ever-shifting. And we as believers are called to not be conformed, not to mill in with this world, but to be transformed. Notice it said transformed and not just informed. By the renewal of our mind. So that you can test and discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Why is that important for the modern American church? Because in this culture, much like the church that this letter was written to, we live in a a state that if it feels good, you do it. If it looks good, you grab it. But God is calling us to stand out and to place our identity and our value and our self-worth in him. We live in a world where there are so many things that are trying to label us. It's trying to grab on and latch itself to us. And I want to take a little bit just to remind us of who we are in Christ. And again, if we were in my home church, this part would be part of the end of the sermon right here. But the moment that we believe in King Jesus, we are regenerated. That means we are a new person from the inside and out. We are, new creature, we are new creatures with new hearts, according to Ezekiel. We have been justified before God. Anybody grateful for that in the room, according to Romans? We've been adopted. We've been indwelt with the Spirit of God. In the moment that we believe in Christ, we have been given eternal life. And this morning, we were singing this song uh, this morning in my prayer time, Jairo by Maverick City. And it just reminded me that we are loved by God who is love himself. Why is that important? Because this world will try to make you label yourself 
based on your failures, based on your political identity, based on your proclivities, the things that you struggle with, your temptation, and even based on your relationship status. I was at a wedding this weekend, uh, one of my good friends, and those of you who know me know that I'm a, a complete introvert. And so I tried to find a table with the most people that I knew because I didn't know a lot of people there. And I found a table with maybe two, three people that I really, really knew. And then there was this other couple that I didn't know. They were super sweet. And I later discovered that um, the one lady was a person that loved, loved to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. And so, of course, as she made her way around the table, my stomach is just going crazy. I'm like, oh, what is she going to ask me? What is she? And she was so sweet. No shade. And so after asking my name, the second question was, do you have a lady? Those are my friends. Y'all stop laughing. Don't do that. <laughs> and of course, I answered. I said, no, I'm happily single. And you would have thought that I said, I hate God. <laughs> and it's so funny because sometimes when you preach, you get that alley oop where you get an actual relevant story that's relevant to what you're talking about tonight. So tonight we're going to talk about singleness. We're going to talk about singleness Good news, we're not going to cover everything that's in 1 Corinthians 7. Thank you so much, Aaron, for reading it. We appreciate you. We love you. But we're going to talk about what Paul said about singleness tonight because it's super important. I've been in church a very long time, and I can say in the churches that I've attended, I've not heard many messages on singleness. And most of the ones that I heard, I preached it. <laughs> which is both sad and it shows us our need to be shaped in scripture on what it looks like to be single. I have good news for all of my single friends. I searched the list of diseases and singleness is not on that list. And the reason I say that is because oftentimes when we view singleness, we view it as uh, a holding cell until you get to a more adult place in life. A part of the American scheme, oh, I'm sorry, American dream is that by 20 or so that you need to be married with how many other kids you want in this nice white picket fence. And what we've done, I don't even think it's malicious, but what we've done, we've subconsciously made marriage and these other beautiful things that are gifts, we've kind of made them uh, measuring points to life. And so now what happens when you're 37 and you're single? Can I tell y'all some of the rude things I've heard as a single? And I'm speaking on behalf of my single folks. We don't get many sermons, so I got y'all covered tonight. I've heard, well, Demetrius, don't you want favor? Because the Bible says, oh, good old Southern. No, the Bible says that he that findeth the wife obtains favor. And I asked the question, does that mean I'm unfavored? Because I see scripture where the favor of the Lord surrounds me like a shield. <laughs> 
We begin to think about it. I talked to, we had a sermon writing meeting. I got a chance to hear from some of my single lady friends. A lot of times, a lot of our female friends don't even feel like they're ready for anything in life, that they're in this holding cell waiting on a man to be their knight shining armor to come rescue them and give them significance and purpose. When every one of us in this room were made in the image of God, and that is your identity and your purpose. Singles are looked on with skepticism, as in it it must be something wrong with you. And y'all, this is my favorite one, and my singles can relate. You're attractive. You look good. I'm like, I know. (laughs) We know. We know. (laughs) We know. And don't you want someone? Maybe. And I don't think that we do it maliciously, but those things can subconsciously mess with the brain of a single person to feel like they are inadequate because they don't have this or that. And then that shows a bigger proclivity in our culture in general. It's like we're so discontent that we have to move to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. We even do it in marriages. As soon as a couple get married, the poor babies can't get out of the room without being asked, when are you going to have kids? And then when you have your first kid, when are you having another one? Leave me alone. And it is so important for us to understand that whether we're married or whether we're single, that is not the ultimacy of our identity, but our identity is satisfied only in Christ. So let's define what single is. Single is anyone who is unmarried. That's the biblical definition of singleness, is anyone that's unmarried. Now, what that shows us is a diversity of singles. Let me give you some ideas. There are some people who are single from being widowed. There are some people who are recently single from being divorced. There are even believers who are latching their identity to the Lord and to Scripture who may be same-sex attracted, but they are saying that they're going to say no to those proclivities and they're going to say yes to the Lord. And guess what? There are some singles who are single just because they want to be single. We do have a choice. There are some singles who are single for physical reasons. I have all of these kind of friends in my life, and I think it is so important because our overarching identity together is that we're the family of God. And it is very important that we learn how to relate to one another. So for my married friends, I think this message is important to you because you can help us. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 was talking to a pretty ratchet church. Whatever was good, they did it. Whatever they saw, they did it. And he was answering some questions. God bless Paul because I couldn't have done all of that. And so in 1 Corinthians 7, the overarching theme of this, he was giving some, answering some questions, talking about marriage and some of the challenges and difficulties of marriage. And then he does something very uh, unconventional for a Jew. He actually started applauding and celebrating singleness. 
Because in Jewish culture, if you weren't married by 20, you were seen as like, wait, hey, hey, what's going on? And I think that it's really cool that we see something in the text that's celebrating something that's been so taboo. So let's talk about what this text is not doing. This text is not giving us universal truth to say that marriage or singleness is ultimately better. It's showing us the ups and downs of both and it's reminding us that we are only to place our identity in Jesus alone. What this text is showing us is that the apex of life is not marriage. Unfortunately, we have an idolatry in our country of marriage at times. Well, it is a beautiful gift given by God, but it is not ultimate. And then in some negative connotations, we have a single idea of singleness that's more of rebel. We're just trying to be free and sow oats everywhere and do all other kind of stuff. That ain't right either. Amen, church. Because Paul points us to some specific things that a single should be concerned with. And it's just very, very, very important for us to understand that. Paul is not rating one more superior, but he's revealing the joys of both. And can I say, one of the unfortunate things in our culture is we begin to compare the ups of marriages to the downs of singleness and vice versa. When these two things are not to be compared in that way, but they are to be celebrated individually for what the gift they are. We've all done it. We've all, I've done it. I've been a single all of my life because I've never been married. And so it, to be honest, only in the last couple years, I've become really comfortable with just being a single person. It's almost like you're, it's the thing that you just don't talk about. Hey, I'm Demetrius and I'm single. It's this taboo thing. I was talking to Hillary the other day and we were talking about singleness because both of us are super passionate about it. And I felt so bad because she's in like a million weddings, so I know she gets questions about it so often. We were just talking about that. And it's very easy for us to feel like second-class citizens in a way. But my prayer for Iron City Church, my prayer for the body of Christ, is that our singles will feel celebrated, welcomed, and honored for who they are. Can I give you a new flash? We're not just babysitters for your kids. But we want to seat at the dinner table so that we can see what it means to be a part of a family. Because we are the family of God. So now that we've taken care of the preliminaries, let's go to the text. <laughs> I have a lot to say about singleness. Let's go to verse, let's go to verse six. And we're going to read to verse 9, and we're going to look at some of the things that we can point out of this to encourage our singles. I do want to encourage our singles before I begin. If you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. Like, hear that from my heart. As a person who has been single all of my life, I have had to learn how to depend on King Jesus. 
Something that Sam Alberry said before we get into this, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. Both are gifts from the Lord. They're beautiful. I'll say that again. If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. Jesus really is enough, y'all. He's not just enough, he's more than enough. There's a scripture in the Beatitudes that say, when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we'll be filled. But that word is not just filled to the cup is at the brim. It's like a overflowing. So Jesus is not just enough, he is more than enough. Every one of us in this room have a God-sized void that only God is big enough to fill. And so our status of relationship, our money status, our political affiliations, they will not fill that void. Only God will. And so in verses 6 through 9 in 1 Corinthians 7, it says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, that I want to affirm you in singles, and I want our married people to help affirm us in this, that singleness is good and it is a gift. Singleness is good and it is a gift. Singleness is good and it is a gift. Cam said this in our sermon writing meeting that was so good. He says, it's not just a gift for you to hide under the Christmas tree, but it's a gift to actually be used and stewarded well. Singleness is good, and it is a gift. It's not a curse. It's not a holding cell until you get mature for ministry. I've even heard people say this, and this is, man, I get to air all of my single grievances out in this message. I'm so grateful tonight. I'm going to be free when this thing is over. Y'all better get free too. Amen. <laughs> I've heard people even equate spiritual maturity with only marriage as if life doesn't sanctify us. Yes, there are some nuances that you get in sanctification with marriage, but also as singleness, it is a good time for you to learn and understand the difficulty of this idea that Christ is enough, especially in a world that tells you that he's not. I think my singles can say, that's sanctification, brother. Amen. <laughs> In this context of this text, these people were asking all these kind of different questions and Paul was alluding to, hey, in light of what you ask and in light of what this church is struggling with, singleness is actually good. And it's good for us to remember that. Again, there are singles who are widows. That's another demographic that I forgot to list in that. He said, it's good for you to remain as I am. Apostle Paul was an amazing single. 
Now, there's a lot of speculation that at one point he was married. We don't know. But at the time of this text, he was single. And the things that I see and I see from Apostle Paul are some good keys and benefits for us as single people. He was in full ministry, full passion, undivided in his attention towards the Lord. And he said a lot about contentment, which honestly is the overarching theme of this whole 1 Corinthians 7, being content where you are. Verses 17, verses 20, verses 24, verses 26, verses 40, which was again showing us that our ultimate satisfaction is in God. So singleness is a gift. It's not a curse. It's good. Here's some of the things we need to understand about singleness. That word gift is the same word that is for the spiritual gift. So it's this charisma. You know what that shows me? That you can't be an effective single without the spirit of God permeating through you. We need Jesus, singles. We need Jesus. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so tonight, if you are dependent on your own strength to be a single, I want to encourage you that this gift can only be stewarded and this gift can only be good attached to the Spirit of God. In John, he talks about that he's the vine, we're the branches, and apart from him, we can do nothing. And that includes singleness. Because singleness is hard at times. Singleness is not easy. And apart from him, we can do nothing. I want to say something about verse 9. It says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What this text is not saying, it is not saying that marriage is the cure for lust. I'll say that again for the folks in the back. Marriage is not the cure for lust. I have a lot of married friends who would say amen to that. Because what you bring into a marriage is what you bring into a marriage. And we need the power of King Jesus. We need the power of the gospel to deal with what causes us to lust. What causes us to crave after things that are far from him. So that text is not saying that. We need the spirit of the Lord to help us in the area of lust. And that's something that is more prevalent oftentimes in those of us who are single. Because one of the beautiful gifts of marriage is that ability to share in the gift of sex between a man and a woman in the context of marriage, which helps our married brothers and sisters with that but it's not the cure for our issues of lust. So singleness is good. Singleness is a gift. Let's turn over to verses 25 and 26. I want us to look at something here. It says, now concerning the betrothed, that word is literally talking about virgins. 
That word is so taboo in our culture that it's, it's sad. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgments as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think in view of the present distress, he was referring to the things going on in that area. It is good for a person to remain as is. Can I say something uh, on this? Sex and intimacy, unfortunately, have collapsed in our culture. And we see the two as the same, and they are not. There have been such a heightened idolatry on sex where, to be honest, we've deduced marriage to, oh, you can have sex and singleness. Oh, you can't. When that is not even scratching the surface of what those two gifts are about. Sex is an expression of intimacy. It's not intimacy itself. Intimacy is to be fully known and to be fully loved for who you are for real. I joke with my small group all the time. I say, y'all know we have those small group answers where we say stuff that's safe enough that we don't let people peer behind the back. Y'all know we, y'all do it too. Don't, don't judge. And we don't really say what's real. Singles, if you're taking notes, you need intimacy. You need people who know who you are behind the curtain no pun, behind the mask. <laughs> you need people to know who you are. Married couples, we need you to help us in intimacy. It's something so beautiful when you sit around a dinner table with other people, not just as an event, but as a part of life. Something that's convicted me so much, y'all, is that I have been praying for the body of Christ. I have a pastor friend. We meet at my house every Thursday, and we just pray for the body of Christ. And one of my greatest prayers for the body of Christ is that we understand and we embody our collective identity as the family of God. It is so important that we really understand it because our idea of family is so small we only equate it to our nuclear family, mom, dad, kids. But the way that the Bible and the way that other cultures express family, it is this broadened scope where it's not just people biological, but it's people, especially for those in Christ, those of us in this room, we are family. And that's not an event, but that is a doing life. And guess what? I know everybody is busy. Welcome to the club. We are all busy. But the true definition of community is inviting people into what's already going on. That's community. And every one of us, every one of us in this room eat. Mm-hmm. And so how about... Inviting somebody not like you to eat alongside you. It's simple. It don't have to be something that's altering and life-changing. I was listening to a podcast, and they gave some great advice, and I never thought about this, but they were like, hey, families need to invite more singles on vacation because sometimes you get to get away from your children. Amen? Somebody say parents. Parents like, oh, I got about three singles I'm about to invite now because you should have said that. But what that does for us, especially me not having any kids, it gives us something that we don't normally get in our own space. 
Singles need intimacy. Singles need family. And I want to talk to the single because we have the ability to hide out in community. You need community. You need real family. Because the enemy loves to sift those who are by themselves. It's easier to snatch prey that's alone than prey that's in the herd. You'll catch that on Monday on your ride to work. And a lot of us singles, I've done it before, we remain isolated. When God has called us to even receive our identity as a part of the family of God. So singles need intimacy. And in that text, it was talking about virgins being content and where they are. We've just idolatrized like romantic relationships and sex as the ultimate sea of being human. When that is not even hitting the surface, y'all. We've sometimes equated that to tell a person that they are not, uh, to tell a single that they are missing something about being human from not having sex is to really dishonor and discredit the best single that ever lived, Jesus Christ. He was the best human ever. And he was fully God and fully man. So to say that you're not getting your human needs met by something like sex is to say that about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wasn't a subhuman. He was fully human, fully man. Apostle Paul walked in celibacy as well. And I think we have to address this because we have begin to really heighten and, idolatry and make an idol out of sex. As a matter of fact, I don't know if any of y'all seen it. Maybe y'all too holy to watch this movie. But it was the 40-year-old virgin. Where it was made fun of that he was 40 years old and he was a virgin. It was a comedy movie. But there are people that live that way in real life. And they are no less human than the rest of us. In our culture, it is so taboo, which is why we go back to what we talked about in the beginning, that we are to be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our mind. There is a different way that we are to think and engage in earth, and we need to have a biblical worldview, even about sex. Very important. Very important. So singleness is good. It's a gift. Singles need the grace of Jesus. Singles need community. Singles need to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And the last point I want to make as we do this last text is singles need to be on mission. He said in verse 29, he said, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it for the present form of this world is passing away. Isn't that the truth? He said, I want you single to be free from anxieties to the unmarried man 
The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote the good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let's talk about some truth in this text. Singles, we get an opportunity undistractedly to run after the Lord with all that we have. We get a chance to embody Psalm 27. We can say one thing that we desire from the Lord and that one thing that we seek after. We don't have certain other things to distract us in the way that our married friends have. I want to also say this as a boundary. That doesn't mean that you burn yourself out doing everything that you see that you can do. You are still to live in rhythm, a healthy rhythm. And I'm going to also say this as a person that works in God's church as a single. That doesn't mean that your single people do everything in the church. Amen, single folks. What that is pointing us to is that both married and single people, no matter our distractions or no matter our freedom from distractions, the aim for us is to find a way to be undevoted, I mean, undivided in our devotion to the Lord. So no matter if we have restraints, we have anxieties, all of the goal of all of us is to be known by the Lord. But for married people, we get the opportunity to be free from those anxieties. And there are some people who've honestly looked at that text and was like, you know what? I just want to be free from the anxieties. And that's okay. So tonight, my charge for us in general is for us to understand our corporate identity as the family of God, understand who we are now and why we were here. Because I hear so many questions. If I don't put my identity in sexuality or singleness, what do I put it in? Let me give you a, a, a quote here. We were created to know, love, enjoy, and honor the triune Lord of all creation. And God is inviting each one of us into a personal relationship with him, no matter what stage of life we find ourselves in. And I have something else that's even beautiful. In Matthew 22, they were trying to challenge Jesus about who does the wife belong to at a certain point. And he said something very significant. He said, at the resurrection, there won't even be no marriage. So there's going to come a time where our relationship status is null and void anyway. <laughs> so while we're on earth, don't put your stock and your ultimacy of your identity in it but put it in what's eternal. And that is us knowing, loving, and trusting, and obeying King Jesus. So I want to take some time to pray over us as Jess comes up. Then we're going to go into a time of communion. But I want to specifically pray for us as the family of God tonight, that we can live and walk in that identity 
Our goal is that no one feels alone or lonely because we are the family of God and we're here for each other. So, Father, I thank you even now that the precious blood of Jesus, upon cleansing us and saving us individually, you saved us into a family. That we share a corporate identity of the children of God, diverse, many different challenges, many different proclivities, struggles, many different relationship statuses, many different stories. But Lord, we all share you as a father. I pray that we embody and that we would live in our identity as new creations and creatures Pray that we would find more of our identity, that we've been regenerated, that we've been changed with a new heart. Pray that we would find our identity in being the righteousness of God in Christ, being accepted in the beloved, being adopted. Pray that we find our identity in being loved and being known by you. And that all the secondary things that we find our identity in, that they would pale in, in comparison. God, I want to pray for the single who actually feels lonely right now. I want to pray that you put in them a burden for community and family, that they would find somebody even tonight to say, hey, surround me. God, I want to pray for those who are married in the room, that they would embrace this big identity of the family of God, this broadened identity of the family of God. And Lord, I specifically want to pray for singles who've been hurt unintentionally by words that were spoken, maybe not maliciously, but it still did something in them. I pray that you free them tonight to know that singleness is a gift, that it is good, that it's to be stewarded well, that they need the Spirit of God to be a good, well single, that they're not in a holding cell, that they can do ministry now. They can be your workmanship now. God, I pray that Iron City Church is known for being the family of God. And we love you and we thank you. It's in the matchless, powerful, sovereign, great, mighty, beautiful, unrivaled name of King Jesus. And can all of the people who are redeemed by the Lord say, amen. Would y'all help me do something? Can we honor our singles in the room? We love you guys. Can we give it up for them? We love you. We love you. And as the family of God, we vow to love you better. Amen. We're going to take a time of communion. And this is for those of us who have confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we do this, which is so beautiful. We do this as the family of God every week. And so for those who are serving it, they can come up uh, even now. So I want to give us just a couple seconds to kind of just still our hearts and to prepare our minds for receiving communion tonight, I'll give us a couple seconds of silence.
King Jesus, what an honor to do this weekly as a family to remember the precious blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of King Jesus. I even pray tonight that we don't take this haphazardly, but we focus in on what this really means for us. Not only have you forgiven us and cleansed us of sin, but you've given us a family and a new identity. And we get to celebrate all of that tonight as we take communion. So I want to read over us 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, and then you're able to come and line up and receive communion. For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in the blood, in my blood. Do this as often as you do it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, this is what we do. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we patiently yet eagerly await your return. We live in a fallen world that desperately needs you. We live in fallen bodies that are desperately crying out for perfection that will only be found in you. And so, Lord, I pray over every one of us as we take communion tonight, Lord, that we remember your sacrifice. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may come and receive.